There's just something about uncontacted tribes that's always piqued my curiosity. Maybe you've heard of Ishi, who, as the last of his people, emerged from California's Sierra foothills in the summer of 1911. It's estimated that Ishii was around 50 years of age and spent the vast majority of his life completely cut off from modern society. And for good reason. After all, his tribe was literally slaughtered in a series of massacres. Then there's the Bronco Apache, I covered here on the Wild West Extravaganza way back when. Link in the description. These guys and gals were still making raids into Arizona and New Mexico as late as 1926. Hell, even a decade later, they themselves were being hunted in the mountains of northern Mexico. And according to Jason Betzinez, an Apache who rode with Geronimo, those Broncos were still out there as recently as 1959. Now, I don't know how accurate that is, but if it's true, that was still quite a long time ago. I think it's safe to say that as of this recording, there are no remaining uncontacted tribes anywhere in North America. South America's a different story, though. And let's not forget about Africa or India. Matter of fact, per the experts at Survival International, there are currently over 100 uncontacted tribes worldwide. A number that absolutely blows my mind. And if that seems like a lot, I will say that the term uncontacted is a little misleading. Generally speaking, it's used to describe certain indigenous peoples who avoid all contact with outsiders. Doesn't mean that they've never met anybody else or that they've never physically touched your own modern objects. So long as they continue to avoid all contact with outsiders, they are considered uncontacted. And today you're going to hear about a group who, in my opinion, are about as uncontacted as you can possibly get. They have no trade with neighboring tribes. They brook no interference from outsiders. And hell, we don't even know what language they speak, much less what they call themselves. FYI, this is a bonus episode hosted by my friend Rich Napolitano from the Shipwrecks and Sea Dogs podcast. I personally requested that Rich cover this topic, and trust me when I say the man did not disappoint. If you like what you hear, and I know you will, you can find similar stories at shipwrecksandseadogs.com or wherever you listen at podcasts. Additionally, you can find ad-free episodes of Shipwrecks and Sea Dogs along with bonus content at intohistory.com forward slash shipwreckspod. Links to all of this in this episode's show notes. Without further ado, it is my honor to present Shipwrecks and Sea Dogs with the great Rich Napolitano. It's the break of dawn on North Sentinel Island, a small island of the Andaman Islands. A young man wipes his eyes and rises from his mat. The communal hut his family shares with several families is cramped with sleeping bodies. He walks over to one of the hearths and starts a small fire to boil water. Being a strong young male, his morning ritual is to rise early and search for food. Today, he will attempt to catch fish for his tribe. He wakes his two brothers and the men head down a narrow footpath through a dense jungle. As they emerge from the trees and onto the white sand beach, they stop and look out over the water. They see a small boat approaching. The men slowly approach the shore with bows and arrows in hand. They have experienced outsiders before, but the North Sentinelese people have no desire for any outsiders to land on their shores. As the boat comes closer, the men ready their bows and make threatening gestures. The men on the boat drop coconuts and bananas close to shore as a friendly gesture. The tribesmen cautiously gather the food quickly and bring it on shore, but maintain their vigilance. 
As the boat inches closer, the men on shore shoot several arrows at the boat, warning shots to stay away. They pound their chests and flail their arms in threatening gestures. From the time they were children, they have listened to the elders pass down the oral history of tribe members who died after exposure to outsiders, and they fiercely protect their shores. Despite good intentions, the men on the boat realize they are not welcome and wisely retreat. The Sentinelese people wait and watch until the boat disappears into the distance. Finally, they are able to get on with their duties. They drag a canoe from the trees to the shore and swiftly push out into the shallow waters with their spears. Soon, they have a basket full of fish and return to their communal hut to feed hungry mouths. We don't know much about the North Sentinelese people or even how they refer to themselves. What we do know suggests a thriving, healthy people who are isolated from the outside world and wish to remain that way. They refuse to trade, they do not travel to other islands, and they do not allow outsiders on their island. The Wrecks of North Sentinel Island, today, on Shipwrecks and Sea Dogs. Hello and welcome to Shipwrecks and Sea Dogs, Tales of Mishaps, Misfortune, and Misadventure. In 1981, the cargo ship Primrose wrecked on a reef just outside of North Sentinel Island. This is intriguing not so much because how it wrecked, but where it wrecked. This intersection of modern shipping and an isolated simple people was the cause of international intrigue. North Sentinel Island is part of the Andaman Islands in the Bay of Bengal, between India and Myanmar. Lying about 20 miles west of South Andaman Island, it is a small island of 60 square kilometers, about the size of Manhattan. The beautiful island is covered with dense forest and surrounded by white sand beaches. The Andaman Islands archipelago and the Nicobar Islands to the south are formerly a territory of India. North Sentinel Island, while an Indian possession, is completely self-ruling and doesn't recognize or have any awareness of what happens outside of their island. The little bit we know of the people of North Sentinel Island comes from offshore and aerial observation and very limited close contact. A 2011 Indian government census roughly estimated the population of North Sentinel Island to be between 80 and 150 people. However, other population estimates vary widely from as many as 400 to as few as 15. Anthropologists believe the people on the island have been there for 55,000 to 60,000 years, with virtually no interaction with other cultures. While related to tribes such as the Onga and Jarawa on nearby islands, North Sentinel Island has remained so isolated that their language is unrecognizable to those other tribes. The people of North Sentinel Island wear little to no clothing. The women typically wear thin strings tied around their waists, necks, and heads while the men wear necklaces and headbands and a thicker belt. They are hunter-gatherers, subsisting on fruit, berries, birds, turtles, fish, crabs, lobsters, and coconuts. 
They are known to make very narrow dugout canoes, which they push along the shallow waters with a pole while they fish with their bows and arrows. They do not venture into deeper water, and there's no record of anyone from North Sentinel Island traveling to another island. It is believed they are divided into three small groups on their island, residing in large communal huts for multiple families, as well as small open lean-to huts. We don't know what the Sentinelese people call their own land or their language. The first written record of North Sentinel Island is from 1771. British surveyor John Ritchie observed a multitude of lights coming from Sentinel Island while aboard his East India Company ship, Diligent. But as he was on a hydrographic survey, he did not stop at the island. The island remained undisturbed for another 96 years until in 1867, a British colonial administrator from the Andaman Islands sailed to North Sentinel Island searching for escaped prisoners. He witnessed numerous Sentinelese men fishing with bows and arrows on shore and decided against landing on the island. But just a few months later that same year, the Indian merchant vessel Nineveh ran aground near North Sentinel Island during a violent storm. Its 86 passengers and 20 crew were able to make it to the island, but they were not exactly welcomed guests. The marooned survivors stayed on the beach, hoping for a rescue ship, and the North Sentinelese watched cautiously from afar. But after three days, the island's inhabitants had had enough of the foreign interlopers and launched an attack. But the wreck survivors defended themselves with stones and sticks and whatever else they could find. The two sides settled into a mutual, albeit cautious, armistice, and a British Royal Navy ship soon arrived and rescued the castaways. The captain later stated, the Sentinelese were stark naked and had metal-tipped arrows. A short time after this encounter, the British declared North Sentinel Island to be a British possession. At the time, the British were already using the Andaman Islands as a penal colony. In 1880, 20-year-old Maurice Vidal Portman took an expedition to North Sentinel Island to learn more about the natives there. Portman was the colonial administrator at Port Blair on South Andaman Island and the officer in charge of all of the Andamanese people. When Portman arrived on North Sentinel Island, he found a network of footpaths through the jungle and abandoned villages. The structures were a combination of lean-to huts and larger, sturdier communal huts. But the Sentinelese had fled to hiding places further inland and were nowhere to be found. However, Portman's party did encounter two elderly adults and four children who must have lagged behind the others in escaping inland. Portman captured them and took them back to Port Blair on South Andaman Island. Within just a couple of days, the older couple had died, no doubt from being exposed to pathogens for which they had no immunity. Fearing for the lives of the four children, Portman returned them to North Sentinel Island and left gifts for the native people. Between 1885 and 1887, Portman visited the island several more times and became quite fond of the place and its people but he observed the detrimental impact of his visits on the health of the indigenous people and feared they would soon become extinct. The encounters that impacted the Sentinelese, especially the kidnapping and deaths of two of their people, they almost certainly associated illness and death with visits from foreigners, and the resistance to outsiders increased even further. In 1896, three prisoners from Port Blair escaped and fled for North Sentinel Island on a makeshift raft. Two of them drowned, but one of them made it to the island, where he was promptly killed by the Sentinelese. 
The publication The American Scholar reported the body was found, quote, pierced in several places by arrows and with its throat cut. For the next 50 years, there were no recorded encounters with the Sentinelese, and they were left at peace. In 1947, North Sentinel Island became an Indian possession following the country's independence from the United Kingdom. The Indian government did not immediately visit North Sentinel Island and waited another 20 years before making any attempt of communication. In 1967, anthropologist Charlaknath Pandit led an expedition to the island, where again, the Sentinelese people fled inland and hid. Pandit left gifts of food and other items for them, and also took bows and arrows found on the beach. Pandit returned in 1970, where a dispute of sorts arose between Pandit's men and the Sentinelese. As tensions grew, the Sentinelese warriors began having intercourse with their women, as a sort of pre-battle ritual, it seemed. To avoid conflict, Pandit and his expedition retreated and left the island. In 1974, a team of anthropologists went to North Sentinel Island to film the documentary Man in Search of Man. The team included a National Geographic photographer and a security force of police for protection. Upon their arrival, they left a live pig, aluminum cookware, coconuts, and a doll. The Sentinelese fired on them with their arrows, injuring the photographer and forcing the group to leave the island. The Sentinelese were later observed killing and burying the pig and the doll, but taking the aluminum and coconuts back to their village. Pandit later told the New York Times, quote, They were watching us carefully, and they must not have been happy because they picked up their bows and arrows. This whole encounter was so amazing because here is civilized man facing primitive man in its extreme state, living very simply. Later that same year, an Indian government expedition brought several members of the Onga tribe to the island to try to decipher the Sentinelese language. However, they were met with very hostile resistance and could not get close enough to hear any of the language. As curiosity increased about the North Sentinel Island people, in 1975, the exiled King Leopold III of Belgium toured the Andaman Islands. As his vessel approached, the Sentinelese fired arrows at his ship, delighting the king. Charlaknath Pandit reported, As soon as his boat got too close, they shot an arrow in his direction. The king was overjoyed and said it was the best day of his life. Neither the king nor anyone else landed on shore. On August 2, 1981, the MV Primrose was on voyage from Bangladesh to Australia carrying a cargo of chicken feed. The 16,000-ton Panamanian cargo ship encountered an extremely violent storm in the Bay of Bengal, and its crew of 28 spent a very tense night being tossed about in rough seas. Eventually, the ship ran aground on a reef at North Sentinel Island, just around midnight. The ship was stuck on the reef, but was undamaged and in no danger of sinking. As dawn broke the following morning, they saw a lush island and beautiful white sand beaches. They were thankful to still be alive and so close to an island. But the sea was too rough to launch the lifeboats, and the captain thought it best to keep everyone on board. Later that day, on the 3rd of August, a lookout spotted activity on the island. Sentinelese warriors were coming out of the trees and approaching the shoreline. What they saw was unlike anything they had ever seen. The lookouts described smaller-than-average people, naked, with only narrow belts around their waists, waving their spears, bows, and arrows, and jumping and gyrating wildly. Although there was no direct attack just yet, 
the Sentinelese began carving out small canoes, as was their custom. Very clearly, they intended on reaching the vessel, and those on board feared an attack was coming. On the 4th of August, a desperate message was received by Regent Shipping Company, which had supplied the crew for the Primrose. The message was sent by the captain of the Primrose, Lu Chunglong. His message read, Wild men, estimate more than 50, carrying various homemade weapons, are making two or three wooden boats. Worrying they will board us at sunset. All crew members' lives not guaranteed. Captain Liu also requested an emergency airdrop of firearms for the crew to defend themselves. The rough seas prevented the Sentinelese from launching their canoes, and the high winds prevented their arrows from hitting their target. The captain appointed additional lookouts for a round-the-clock watch of any aggression from the island. Meanwhile, the weather was worsening into gale-force winds and violent seas, and rescue ships from India were repeatedly prevented from reaching the stranded crew. The crew of the Primrose armed themselves with axes, flare guns, pipes, and anything else they could find on board. Indian search coordinator Colonel Prithvi Nath told the UPI at the time, quote, Those natives are not used to outsiders. They are not used to civilized people. News of the shipwreck and the threats from the Sentinelese made international news. Many claimed the native people were cannibals, which the Indian government staunchly refuted. There has never been any evidence to suggest the Sentinelese people practice cannibalism. After several days, the weather calmed enough for the Sentinelese to launch their canoes, and the attack finally came. But they were not able to get close enough, and the crew successfully repelled the attack with what weapons they had, and prevented the islanders from boarding. A vigilant watch was kept, and tensions were high. The warriors on shore continued to watch cautiously. The standoff continued day after day for almost two weeks. Finally, with the Sentinelese warriors constantly threatening another attack, the crew were rescued by a civilian helicopter operated by PT Airfast Services of Indonesia. Each man was winched up to the helicopter as the Sentinelese looked on, most likely amazed at what they were seeing. After three trips by the helicopter, all of the crew from the freighter were safely in Port Blair. The wreck of the Primrose still remains at North Sentinel Island to this day. In January of 1991, Charlak Pandit made his final expedition to North Sentinel Island. This visit proved to be somewhat friendly as members of the tribe approached, albeit cautiously, even wading out into the water to accept the gifts of coconuts and aluminum pots, which they greatly desired. It was during this time the Sentinelese were observed using metal tools for the first time, it was determined they must have scavenged metal from the Primrose and other wrecks nearby. But the Sentinelese had no desire to accept live animals, routinely killing and burying pigs given as gifts, perhaps out of fear of diseases. On one occasion, Pandit watched as a warrior raised his bow and pointed it toward the expedition, but a woman next to the warrior pushed the bow back down. The warrior then buried his bow and arrows in the sand. Perhaps this was a Sentinelese ritual, or an attempt at communication. There was no attack on this day, and the natives accepted the coconuts and aluminum tools. But this cordiality didn't last. When the expedition made another attempt to give gifts a few weeks later, the islanders accepted the gifts but soon made it clear they wanted the visitors to leave, and quickly. Pandit told the Indian Express, quote, If we tried to venture into their territory without respecting their wishes, or got too close for comfort, they would turn their backs on us and sit down on their haunches, as if to defecate. 
That was meant to be an insult. If we didn't pay heed and stop, they would shoot arrows as a last resort. When Pandit saw Sentinelese warrior make a throat-cut gesture with a knife, he knew it was time to go. It is unknown why Pandit experienced a friendlier reception for a short time, or why friendlier relations suddenly stopped. The Sentinelese language has never been deciphered, making communication extremely difficult. Later that same year, in 1991, the Indian government granted a salvage contract to the Muhammad brothers to salvage what they could of the Primrose for scrap metal. After some initial tense moments with the Sentinelese, the men were able to work on the ship for two months without incident. Following the salvage, the Indian government placed a five-kilometer exclusion zone around the island to prevent further interactions with the Sentinelese. On the 26th of December, 2004, the massive Sumatra-Andaman earthquake struck off the coast of Sumatra, causing tsunamis and massive destruction in the region. The Indian government sent a helicopter to North Sentinel Island to check on the well-being of the natives. They encountered tribesmen on the shore, who shot arrows at the helicopter. This was at least confirmation of their survival. A now-famous photograph of a Sentinelese warrior shooting an arrow at the helicopter can be found on this episode's page on shipwrecksandseadogs.com. A rather unfortunate incident occurred in 2006. Two Indian fishermen were illegally poaching the waters around the island for turtles, lobsters, and sea cucumbers, and had moored their boat and went to sleep. The boat broke free and drifted ashore at North Sentinel Island, where they were killed by the Sentinelese. Their bodies could not be recovered. The most recent incident, and probably the most famous, occurred in 2018. American missionary John Allen Chow traveled to North Sentinel Island illegally in an attempt to convert the native people to Christianity. Chow paid several local fishermen to transport him to the shores of the island. Chow walked on the shore singing hymns, but was chased away by the Sentinelese two times. When he made a third attempt, he was killed by a bow and arrow attack. The fishermen watched them tie a rope around Chow's neck and drag his body into the forest where he was buried. Chow's body could not be recovered. He had violated the five-kilometer exclusion zone, and seven people were charged for assisting him reach the island. The Indian government will not prosecute murders committed by the Sentinelese. Anyone venturing there is doing so illegally, and there are adequate warnings to not approach the island. In 2021, a Facebook group called Destroy North Sentinel Island launched an effort to organize a group to travel to North Sentinel Island to avenge the death of John Allen Chow. The stated goal on the page read, quote, I want to destroy North Sentinel Island. The people of the island do not have a place on this earth of ours. They have taken the lives of too many. They do not deserve to be left alone anymore. Another member of the group wrote on the page, quote, My beginning plan of action is to land on the island from airdrop and immediately use flamethrowers to burn down the surrounding plant life. The page had as many as 94 members, but was shut down by Facebook, and nothing ever came of this plan. As of today, the Indian government has a no-contact policy for North Sentinel Island, and the 5-kilometer exclusion zone remains in place. It is likely these interactions with outsiders have been passed down from generation to generation and fuel their fierce resistance to outsiders to this day. Their vigilant and hostile reaction to foreigners could indicate their understanding of the peril they face from exposure to other cultures. 
That's going to do it for this episode about North Sentinel Island. Thank you so much for listening. Shipwrecks and Sea Dogs is written, edited, and produced by me, Rich DiPolitano. Original theme music is by Sean Siegfried, and you can follow him on YouTube at Sean Secret or on the web at sean.siegfried.se. Thank you again for listening. And until next time, don't forget to wear your life jackets. <laughs>